When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. Welcome to the Wealth Ability Show, where we're always discovering how to make way more money and way less tax. So one of the issues going on in the workforce right now since the pandemic really is burnout in the workplace, quiet quitting, all of these things that affect the productivity of our employees and our team members. And so how do you actually do something about it? How do you help your employees? How do you help yourself? Make sure you're not burning out. How do you help your employees? What can we do to build a better organization and do those things? And that, those are things we're going to learn today. So stay tuned. This is a very, I think this is a really important podcast. We have an expert, Jennifer Moss, on here, who is one of the uh, world-renowned experts on handling burnout and handling particularly from an organizational standpoint. So Jennifer, thank you so much for being with us. And would you give a little of your background and why you're talking about this? Yeah, you know, I, I started in this space around workplace culture and well-being, I don't know, quite a while ago, maybe about 15 years ago, and started to look at uh, psychological fitness and happiness at work and came to understand that that's helpful if we are in a place of optimization. You know, if we're feeling good already or we're neutral, we're open to, you know, being more optimized, more self-care, uh, more, again, psychological fitness and focusing on social emotional intelligence, all those things I was really, um, really geared up to try to bring to workplaces. And then suddenly I realized, all of that is ice cream for people that need water. I mean, when you are really stressed out and you're dealing with chronic stresses and the root causes of burnout are things that you can't control, then we need to tackle that first before all of this sort of well-being, you know, perk and these tactics are um, are not helping. Uh, so we mm. need to actually make them help by working kind of in that first phase a little bit earlier. Um, and that sort of brought me to where I am now, where I joke I was the happiness expert. Now I'm the unhappiness expert. So, but it's all part of the overall goal. I think. That, 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 that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, okay. So we'll, we'll go to that. So you talk about root cause. So what, what do you see as the root cause of what's going on because this is like we were talking before earlier um this um quiet quitting which to me is a form of burnout right it's just it's just response it's like i'm not engaged anymore so i'm going to do the least amount possible while keeping my job because i still need the paycheck but i don't really want to do what i'm doing and i don't i'm not really motivated to get a different job uh, because there i might actually have to work and so, so, so what's the root cause here? What, what are you seeing? I think you've articulated it perfectly. I mean, we, 
are sort of blaming the individual for quiet quitting, like that they're just some bad actor that doesn't want to show up to work or they're being lazy. And yet when you look at the data, the workforce is extremely burned out. They're so exhausted. This has been an unsustainable uh, environment for them to work in. The The fact that we're working 30% more to hit those same pre-pandemic goals, but then we're still in you know growth mode, innovator dies or mentality hasn't left. The building, even though we are working at a pace that we can't work at, we haven't had time to recover. So really, when you look at the root cause of burnout, the, the leading cause of burnout already, and this was defined in 2019 when the World Health Organization actually identified burnout as an occupational phenomena and added it to their international classification of diseases. So that happened, and, and, and there's six root causes, but overwork is always the leading cause. And so it makes sense that after having unsustainable workloads, people are saying, I'm burned out. I need to kind of remove uh, a, some sort of, or create some sort of boundary so that I can remove this pressure to continue to be working at this pace that I just can't actually survive at this pace anymore. And so it just becomes a tool in the toolbox that employees are using to sort of prevent their own kind of hitting the wall. Interesting. So I saw an article in the Wall Street Journal um, the other day that was about doing that it the goal should not be doing more it should be for employees actually doing less and 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 one of my questions i have there is how much of this so i got so many questions but first one is how much of this do you think is a lack of feeling a feeling of lack of control over situations because we know you know people that get depressed and or and particularly those that go to the step of thinking about taking their lives, they feel completely out of control. There is no other option, right? So that clearly is a, is a lack of feel, feeling, a lack of control. How does, how does lack of control fit into the burnout, um, uh, whole burnout discussion? Well, and, and, I mean, you have obviously um, been well-read in the literature and research around burnout because lack of agency is actually another one of the root causes of burnout. And that lack of agency skyrocketed inside of the pandemic because all of a sudden, you know, for managers, for example, who are really you know, chronically stressed and burned out. They're the ones sandwiched between objectives and sure. also their team. They're in that role where they have no choice. They just have to keep pushing their team, even if they don't want to. And we also see that they used to have, especially Gen Xers, that group who tend to be also middle management, used to have management by walking around, just bumping into someone and be able to talk to them. And that's completely gone. So they're feeling like they have no kind of control over the way that they used to lead. And then employees themselves, they're in vertical learning curves. All of a sudden they have to learn technology on, you know, and maybe the organization has not really been um, brought up to speed to have a remote, you know, environment. Look at teachers, for example, just all of a sudden had to learn these new skills that they weren't prepared for. They didn't feel effective and, and being asked to answer emails even at 11 o'clock at night with the expectation of having something back to your boss by eight that next morning. All of this feels like there's no control and the hours just keep moving and we're not seeing rewards or recognition for that effort. And then now people just say, okay, I'm going to just get some control back <laughs> and get some agency back and I'm going to start quietly quitting or I'm going to quit entirely. So, so you you brought something up which is a, a real hot spot for the employer side of this, and that is this remote workforce versus in-person workforce. And you hit on something that it's easier to manage 
by walking. It, it, it is, it is so much easier to manage when you're in an office than when you're remote. I mean, you have to be so intentional. You know, we had this summer and uh, I had my partner in my CPA firm who typically runs the show was out on maternity leave. And so I'm thrown into running the show. So, and um, I run the show differently than she does. Uh, I'm, I'm very much about holding people accountable and then letting them do their job. And so I found that we had to be much more intentional about reporting. We had much more intention about communication and so forth. So, and, and to me, if I were a manager, which I would hate being a manager, I hate, I, I, I'm terrible at that. I, I would, I would hate the remote. I, I, I personally would hate working remote as a manager, uh, a, 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 as a people manager. How much is that whole remote workforce and this desire? They say, well, we want to, we want to, we don't want to come back to the office, but which is really a convenience thing. I think more than anything, how much do you think the remote work actually has played into the burnout? Extraordinarily, you know, um, high impact on the connectedness, on the ability to lead, on morale, on culture. Is this strange way that we're doing RTO, like remote work? The problem isn't necessarily that people are working remote. The problem is that we have the wrong idea of what the post-pandemic office experience looks like. And so we've thought that hybrid you know, we, we think that hybrid is some sort of formula that's been defined now as two days in and three days out, whatever that looks like. And the thing is, is that hybrid is whatever we make of that. Hybrid means a mix of different ways of working and different modes and different spaces. And so we need to reimagine what the office of the future looks like. And that means, okay, maybe in some organizations that I've spoken to, Open Text is an example of this and some of their teams that can be working remote. Instead, they have them come in once a quarter for say four or five days to have really good bonding and connection. And then they go off and work on very, you know, projects that are can be individually led. And then it's more ab about creating what works for a certain team. One call center had people come in when they were onboarded, they would do a one month straight of just collaborating, working together, learning from each other, doing the work together, and then going off again, and then sort of kind of up um, updating their their collaboration every single quarter, once a year. And then some people do come into the office and they're looking at this differently where they come in and it's about work sprints. It's about team building when they're there. It's less about coming into the office just to be on Zoom again, you know, for right. the whole day where they are commuting now to come into work and they're feeling angry about that and they're still just as isolated. So I think we need to look at this as what is work in person? How is it different because of the pandemic? How is it different because now employees have a frame of reference and they like the flexibility? Can it be core hours? I mean, there's a million different solutions, but right now we're sort of focused on just jamming the toothpaste back in the tube and people are saying, that's not what I want. Um, and the reporting piece, we're just making people work in their pajamas. They're in the, you know, this, these pajama hours that we're creating by having more reporting, more, you know, more one-on-ones for managers because they have to see, uh, you know, individuals for these periods of time. All of this is just not really working. It's a failed experiment. So let's, what I suggest is let's figure out a new path around this whole idea of the remote work, um, you know, strategy. Hey, if you like financial education the way I do, you're going to love Buck Joffrey's podcast. Buck's a friend of mine. He's a client of mine. He's a 
former board certified surgeon, and he's turned into a real estate professional. So he has this podcast that is geared towards high paid professionals. That's who he's geared towards. So if you're a high paid professional, you're going, look, I'd like to do something different with my money than what I'm doing. I'd like to get financially educated. I'd like to take control of my money and my life and my taxes. I would love to recommend Buck Joffrey's podcast, which is called Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. I hope you join Buck on this adventure of a lifetime. All right, so I'm gonna challenge you on this one. So, okay, so give us like three, four things that, that, um, the, the owners, particularly the, the employers should be looking at when they contemplate this return to work, when they contemplate this, uh, whether it's, you know, some people working away, some people in, when are they in, what should we be looking at? I think we also need to separate different groups. Some people just, I mean, we're not going to tell teachers that they're able to have this kind of, you know, right. work remote or, you know, certain sure. individuals, certain sectors don't have that capacity, but most knowledge-based, you know, companies where you could be in person and you could be remote, that's where you start to think of which groups need to be in, in um, person and when, and then when they're um, remote. But I think the goal is, is that this idea of so much flexibility where people can choose when and you know when they come into work when they're working i actually don't think that that's the best uh strategy i think we need to say you're coming in at the same time for a certain amount of time per week we leave our meetings that are collaborative meetings to those days where we actually can see each other in person instead of having meetings that are you know are virtual meetings yeah. they're not working people are tired they're they're exhausted from being online so make that the time that we are connecting make it so that if people do want to have the ability to have their own individual work done that there is space for that like there are offices where people can go into but there's a lot more shared space make it so that there's core hours you don't need to be there in that heavy commute time think about having people come in from that 10 to 4 they can you know work at home until they come in where we can be together why force someone into this time these box times where everyone's on the road. I mean, that's not healthy. And then start thinking about, you know, using outdoor space more. I keep saying like we're we're inside mm. of these spaces so much in our home. Yeah, Hewlett Packard is a great example where they've built so many more meeting spaces to be used in their outdoor environment. I guess, you know, in Minnesota in February, that's not going to necessarily be great, but for uh, we can create more environments where we're meeting outside, where we're connecting outside, where we're doing walk and talks instead of sitting. I mean, there's so many different ways that we can be thinking about how to use the office differently. Also, Hewlett Packard is sending people home with food instead of having chefs on site where it's not life on site mm -hmm. camp, you know, on campus. Instead of having chefs there, they have this these takeaway kits for them to either make with their family or cook for their family. I mean, mm -hmm. these are kind of neat ways ways of thinking of how we've changed. Let's meet people where they're at now after facing our mortality for the last two and a half years. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's a lot to unpack there. That's, that, that's a lot to unpack. Okay. So, so return a little bit about the, this idea of control. Okay. Because I, 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 I kind of hear this as one of the fundamental things. I'll give you an example. So my uh, personal assistant, who's amazing, and she's been with me for many, many, many years. She came to me five years ago. She says, I'm thinking about looking for another job. And I said, why? And she said, well, I'm like on call 24 hours a day. And I said, well, what if we change that? What if we said, look, um, 
during business hours, you're available. During non-business hours, if I have something that just comes on my mind, but I don't need urgent attendant uh, uh, urgency, I'll just send an email and please do not be looking at email during off uh, business hours. But if I need it, if I really do have something urgent, I'm in Kazakhstan and I've got a problem and it's two in the morning, I, I really do need help. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to text. And that actually solved it for us. So now she felt like, okay, I'm in control of my life outside of the eight to five hours or my, my regular work day. I just have to get my work done during that time. And then the rest of the time, you know, yes, I'm on call, but I'm not going to be on call very often. So it, what are some things like that, that people can do and, and especially um, managers and employers can do so that they give their people more control and that the people don't feel like they have to be working all the time? Well, I think just what you're doing right now is modeling the behavior. I would even say go one step further and use the send later and not just even mm. the, because you feel cortisol going through your body these days when you hear pings and alerts. And unless you've turned off your phone, sending later then just means, okay, she'll get it the next morning. She won't even get it. So she'll get a bunch of emails maybe the next morning, but that helps you to be able to then, you know, remove the the sense that, because she's still having to monitor her phone because you could be texting her, but those pings, like I really um, ask for people to set bedtime apps, use out of office mm -hmm. every day, set the out of office reminder to go on at six saying, you know, um, I can get back to you within work hours. I'm off between these hours if you need to create those conditions, but leaders and what you're doing, you're modeling the behavior that is so critical because employees can't be what they can't see. You know, if everyone is doing it and leaders are saying, it's okay, I can do this, but um, but I don't want you to to do this thing. I, I, mm -hmm. I'm not going to care about attending meetings or answering emails on vacation, but don't worry. I really want you to feel like you can. There's no way that employees don't feel those invisible pressures. So leaders really have to walk the talk. They have to do it. And that is so hard for people like us, really busy, high performing. We, we enjoy our work so much. It gives us so much passion that it's what we want to do all the time, but not everyone feels that way. So it has to be that we're thinking, okay, we're going to do this to create the conditions that other people can then feel like they are allowed to take that time away and have agency and have autonomy. Got it. So, so let's look at, let, let's talk about that control during those business hours then. So it, it does, it does that play into it that people feel like I'm doing stuff I don't care about. I'm doing stuff that isn't meaningful to me. Um, how do we give employees and I've got my ideas, but what do you think we should be doing for employees to give them more of a sense of self-determination basically in what they're doing and what they're trying to accomplish to further the mission of the company? I love what you're saying because intrinsic motion or, or um, intrinsic motivation is the one most important, I think, skill that needs to be developed or, uh, and it's the hardest thing to have control over. I mean, in, it's essentially, I mean, it's not extrinsic, it's intrinsic. We need to be believing in this ourselves before we're motivated to actually achieve the goals and align with the mission. And one of the things that happens when we're burned out is we start to feel um, emotional distance from our work. We feel a lack of efficacy. Right. We feel even like we're not good at our jobs anymore. So that plays a role because we're thinking we're not even good at this. So why bother? And that is where we 
need to first, I guess, at the root, you know, address burnout. How are we managing workload? Are people feeling that there's a fairness? Do they feel some agency? So managing those things kind of over, you know, right um, upstream, we need to be managing that. But then secondly, it's about giving people that autonomy to come to their um to their drivers, what makes them passionate? What makes them feel good about their job? Re-inspiring that, um, that part of them that made them want to do this job in the first place or went to school to study to be in this career. What is that thing that gives them that spark and start to slowly build that back up? Having inspiration meetings help. And that sounds sort of like a, you know, kind of trite, but really it's about getting people together and talking about what inhibits their motivation. What is holding them back from feeling inspired? and sharing stories about how their uh, jobs actually impact other people from, you know, stapling a document that says here, you, you, you know, we're giving you uh, the keys and the ownership of a brand new home for first time home buyers. And you think I don't have that role to play or being on the line of a factory and not realizing that little things that you do are helping to build wheelchairs that give people mobility. I mean, we need to get to the, the, the kind of the big goal of how we impact our communities, how we impact the people around us, and then understanding that that we play a role in that. We've lost sight of what we are doing to participate in our communities, within our groups right now, within society. We're feeling really kind of low right now and feeling like what we're doing isn't making any difference. We need to kind of build that back up, but it takes a lot of time and effort to get there. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It, it's interesting to me. I was just having this conversation. Um, I was on somebody else's podcast and we were talking about, you know, um, this idea of making money and doing good being mutually exclusive um, because I don't think they are. I actually think, I think making money is a byproduct of doing good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it should, I don't, I've never seen money as the driver. It's never been my driver. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it is for some people. Um, it's not for me, uh, but but the mission is, and the money is a byproduct of serving more people is, is what it is. And so um, how do we, you know, one of the things I, I wonder about control though, is I like, um, I'm actually, one of the things I'm proud of is I probably launched a hundred CPA firms because I have people that they come and I give them so much control that then they go, well, I can go do this on my own. And so they leave and they go and do it on their own. And literally I I bet over the last 25 years, I've launched a hundred CPA firms that way. And I'm proud of that. I I think that's good. Although I think a lot of my CPA owner friends would go, well, wait a minute, you keep losing people. I'm going, uh, what I'm doing is I'm letting them go off and do higher and better use, Mm -hmm. you know, than being an employee. So how do you give people, what do you think about the idea of giving people more control over how they do their job? Um, They've got a job to do and they need to know what the job is, but how do you give them more control and how does that impact burnout? I love that you, um, that that is your mission and that is your goal. It's kind of like as a parent, you know, I have three kids. My goal is to make it so that they can be independent people and not have to ask me to take care of them and that they're going to be flourishing in their lives. The only way you do that is to kind of set them free to be able to figure out what is the the thing that makes them spark? What is exciting to me? How do I connect to this, you know, this goal differently than maybe I would? And so, you know, that, that intrinsic motivation plays really well into this way of thinking around the, the people that we're leading. And 
a lot of that is not focusing on process as much as it is. Okay, here are our goals. You can get there any way you want. I mean, we're all you know r- running this sort of marathon here right now, and mm-hmm. and who cares if you're kind of you know sprinting over the finish line or cr- crossing the finish line because you're walking. It's like it's just about the goal, and we feel just as satisfied making it to that finish line than uh, in any capacity that we can get there. But what's happening is we're getting stuck as leaders and managers in the minutia, you know, in the day-to-day operations, in the process of how you're doing it and think our process is better than, you know, their process. And what you can't connect to the goal if you're being told all the way through how to do it. You don't feel as connected. And so it's around job crafting, giving people this ability to kind of change the way that they think about the goal, what their um what their you know five-year strategy is, what is this going to do for them and what they see this job as is could could be totally different than someone else on the same team. So figuring out what makes people tick and what their final goal is and working towards that all in different ways, but inevitably getting to that same, you know, mission and, or it's harder for leaders and managers to manage that way because, you know, it's nuanced, it's personalized and it takes a lot of active listening and, you know, figuring out what makes people spark. But in the long run, it's actually more effective and efficient because you just have to do more front end work of getting to know people better. And then they will actually work harder, faster, be more productive, be more engaged, more likely to stay if you do that front end work. So then that kind of gives you that bandwidth to be more creative and get that time back as a leader and a manager that actually, if you don't get you burn out too, because micromanaging and managing process is one of the sure. leading causes of burnout for middle managers. Interesting. So, so my final question for you is, um, uh, how do you, um, how do you get comfortable giving up that control of that micromanagement? Because I think that's really hard for people. Um, I see it in some of my managers. Um, it's really, it's, it's easy for me because I don't want to do it anyway. So I, I'm just lazy. And so I let, I'm going, I just want you to do it and not, it's okay to fail. So it's okay for me if you fall on your face, because that's, I mean, that's how a, a one-year-old learns how to walk, right? Um, you know, three-year-olds learn how to speak, be, two or three-year-olds learn how to speak because they're constantly, you know, we can't understand them, but they're yeah. just trying, 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 and they keep making mm-hmm. mistakes. Human nature says that the more mistakes I make, the more progress I make. So uh, how do we, how, how do managers and employers, how do we get out of that mindset that we need to control? Because actually I find a lot of freedom in not controlling and letting them do their job. So how do you kind of get there? How do you get people there? You know, I love that you're saying that because managers, what I keep hearing anecdotally and just through our research is that they feel like because it's um, on their shoulders to show these metrics or these goals of accountability, they don't want to risk other people, you know, within their management making those mistakes so then they are on the hook and that is something that we need to be thinking about because you hear this all the time like cover your ass is a you know something that's been around for a really long time and a lot of that is because people are feeling like they're responsible for failures and even though they want to give that kind of 
you know, that, that kind of leeway to their team, then they're worried about the repercussions of that. So it has to be culturally where we all say, Mm -hmm. okay, here is how we're going to be flexible within, you know, your uh, objectives in being transparent and open saying, you know, there's some people on my team that just need to have the ability to kind of try and fail. And I want to give them that space. So that might mean that this is going to be what happens within this project. And I need to make sure that I create space around that time. You know, do I have to hit um, a goal by a certain amount of time? Well, can we have some space in there to have some trial and error? And that is how we have to do it. Again, I always talk about burnout as a ecosystem problem to solve, but it's the same way with anything within culture. Things can't just happen at one layer. It needs to be that every layer is putting in the space for people to have what I call is a culture of trust because I don't like that term mm-hmm. failing forward. It's about a culture of try and you can't have a culture of try, which is essentially innovation and innovative thinking. If you don't give people the ability to fall. And that means everyone is protected in that culture of try. Yeah. I, I like, we actually have one of our core values is break it. Um, break I, I it. want people to yeah. break. I want, I want things to break because they only yes. get better if we break it. Yes. Um, and, and that's, kind of who we are. We're breaking a, we're trying to break an entire profession. So um, I love love what you're doing. If we want more information on this, where would we go to find more from you, Jennifer? Well, just to the website, there's a bunch of other stuff on there, blogs and articles and stuff, but it's jennifer-moss.com. Excellent. Jennifer-moss.com. It was uh, great being with you and thank thank you you so much. Um, Just remember everyone that, you know, we're, we're building a business, whether, whether we're doing it through real estate, whether we're building a real estate investing business, whether we're building a, uh, you know, an online business, whatever kind of business we're building, we do have to recognize that the, 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 what, the more our employees feel like they have control over their life, the more that we can let them be successful, um, we're going to make way more money. And in the end, we're going to make way more money, pay way less tax. Everything works well. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Jennifer. We'll see you all next time. You've been listening to The Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.